Most loving God, we give you thanks again for having us with you on this morning. We thank you for the gifts of the church, the people of the church. May they bless your church, not only here in this building, but out in the world. We thank you for them, and we ask that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as it was in the prayer as well, I welcome you to ZPC on this Memorial Day weekend. We're glad that you chose to spend your morning with us. Uh, we are glad you're here. Pastor Jerry wanted me to pass on that he's at his nephew's, so his sister's son, uh, high school graduation in Central Texas. He flew down to Central Texas. He'll be back tomorrow. So we'll miss Jerry today, but he'll be back uh, tomorrow. Well, this morning we want to talk about the church and ask this question where is the church? You're like, that's a really obvious question, Scott, because, you know, we're, we're sitting in the church. We're going to talk about the church uh, in a couple of different ways this morning, if you would, with me. So to do that, let's dive right in. Let's read from Scripture this morning. It's Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. The words will be on the screen as well. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up for death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but what at, at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Most loving God, on this Memorial Day weekend, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts that are gathered here be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When you read through carefully this passage, you know, parts of it could be a little bit of a downer. Kind of Paul talks about the end of life. He talks about some other things. But I really think what he's doing is exhorting us and trying to inspire and encourage us, knowing that he has lived a difficult life. And he's saying that you too can get through the difficulties of life. He says things like we are perplexed, we're hard pressed, 
we're struck down. He says, we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. You're like, well, that's, that's kind of strange. But he says, I, I think these things to, to understand and to relate to us that we experience a hard life. We experience feelings and realities in our broken lives and in a broken and hard world uh, that are difficult. But then he said, these things are also true. We are not crushed. We're not in despair. We're not forsaken by God. In a sense, God is always with us. We're not destroyed because even though we carry around the body of death, Jesus' death in our lives, we also are alive in Jesus because Jesus is in us. Paul says we have this treasure, meaning God, God's grace, in jars of clay. The jars of clay are us. We are clay pots. We are fragile. We are breakable. We hurt sometimes, physically and other ways. We are simple. We are prone to injury, cracking or breaking. And yet, Paul says, even though we are clay jars, we carry around in us God's grace. So therefore, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Uh, I didn't come up with a statement, but I found it this week, and I really like it, so I can't claim it, but I'll share it with you. It says, we may think we are at the end of our rope, but we are never at the end of our hope. I like that. We, we may think we're at the end of our rope, but we are never at the end of our hope. Do not lose hope. So we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's God's grace in us. And so one of the answers about where is the church is here. The church is us. But I want to back off for a minute and talk about what we oftentimes think of the church as the church is a building or an institution or kind of the national church or the global church. And so I remember growing up in Texas, and Texas is kind of the belt buckle, claim that sometimes, or Dallas especially, where I grew up. It's kind of the belt buckle of the Bible belt, uh, kind of claim that. Big churches, churches on every corner. And the question growing up wasn't, do you go to church? The question was, where do you go to church? It was assumed uh, in the South, uh, a couple, you know, a generation ago, two generations, it was, uh, generations ago, it was assumed everyone went to church. And I remember even more going to Baylor University down in Waco, Texas, a Baptist university, where it was assumed everyone went to church. And if you slept in, you might say, well, I went to church. I went to Bedside Baptist. That was one, that, you know, that was kind of one little college thing you could say. Just catch that, Bedside Baptist. But if you didn't want to say that, if you wanted to sleep in and pretend that you went to church, and I will tell you, college students at Baylor did this, you would wake up, shower, get dressed, get, get dressed up, and go to lunch like everybody else did. And back then, everybody still dressed up for church. So uh, not making any comments today. But everyone still, so you would dress up and go to lunch looking as if you went to church. And so times have changed. Nationally, there's all kinds of studies that worship attendance is down, that church attendance is down in America. People aren't committed to church as much anymore. And church attendance, even for people that uh, are committed to church, is down as well. Jerry said a few weeks ago, and I asked him to confirm this, uh, and he said, yes, that at ZPC, and we track our attendance, that about 60% of our people attend, on average, one out of three Sundays. So sometimes we think, well, you know, I go to church. I'm there every week. But the, 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 the reality is, is that most people who are even committed to church are only at church 
part-time. And this is not just a ZPC issue. In fact, it's more prominent nationally than it is here. I heard a speaker a few years ago that said about 90 to 95% of churches in America America are declining in attendance. So if you look at the other side, that means only about 5 to 10% of Christian churches in America are growing. And I want to tell you today, and we're excited, thanks to you guys, ZPC is growing. And over the last two years, for sure, we've tracked it very closely that both our worship attendance has increased and your giving has increased the last two years. So thank you. Thank you for both participating and for giving that God is good and God is blessing this church. And yet we have a long way to go, right? I mean, we can always uh, learn to follow God more closely. But what is it about church? And there's, there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons. But what is it about church, why church attendance in America is declining? Is it partly our fault? And I mean as the institutional church, the American church. Has the church lost its relevance? Is it too inward focus? Has it lost its mission? One of the ways we might think about losing our mission or losing focus on our mission is in an old story. And I I'm about 90% sure this story's been told here. I may have even told it, but I think it's been a while, and I think it's a great story, so I want to share it again today. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there once was a crude little life-saving station. There was only one boat, but the few devoted members of that station kept a constant watch over the sea, and they went out day and night searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and others in the surrounding towns wanted to become part of the station and give of their time and their money and their effort to support its work. So new boats were bought and new crews were trained and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the station were unhappy, though, that the building was crude and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots in the station with beds. They put better furniture into an enlarged building. And the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. They redecorated it and furnished it as sort of a club. Less of the members were now interested in going on life-saving missions, so they hired crews to do the work. About this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast. The hired crews did their work, and they brought in boatloads of people. The people were wet and dirty and sick, and some spoke a strange language. And the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. And at the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal life pattern of the club. But some members insisted that the life-saving was their primary mission and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, and they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. 
And if you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that coast. Shipwrecks, though, still happen, and yet many of the people drown. So there's an upper story on uh, this Memorial Day weekend. So we hope and pray and plan that we will not be a life-saving station along the coast, maybe along this corner here in Zinesville on the northwest side of Indianapolis like that. So even though we are growing, and uh, I don't think that we have lost our relevance here at ZPC, what should we be doing so that we can keep from being uh, a life-saving station that loses its way and becomes a club. I think it can be as simple as this, that we fulfill and maintain our focus on our mission, our mission as a church. What is our mission as the church? This is ZPC's longtime mission. It still stands today, and I think it has great things, and I think it's on the cover of your bulletin as well. Called together by God, to make disciples and to release them for service in our broken world. We are called together by God to make disciples and release them for service in our broken world. Jerry's been talking the last few weeks, and I think he will again next Sunday as well, about how we go about doing that. And he's talking about that in three ways, in being relational, invitational, and respirational. We are called together. We're called together to be in relationship, to know one another. This is part of the reason why we have a large gathering space. We want you to stay and to talk and to get to know. We want you to build friendships. It's why we have home groups, why we had the all-church brunch last week. We want you to be in relationship, to have friendships where you can care for one another here in the church, to be relational. We also want to be inviting. We work, we work hard on being hospitable. Uh, Jerry often asks the staff and the elders, who have you met that's new this week? And we are expected to try and meet new people to be invitational. We try to think about events and things that we can do where we can invite people to come to church or to groups or even into our homes. We want to be invita invitational. The church, even as an institution, uh, must plan for and care for those who aren't here yet. We don't just exist like that life-saving station became a club, but we exist for those who aren't here yet. We want to think about, we want to strategize, we want to plan for how we can care for people so that they will also know, as Paul talked about, they will also experience God's grace living in them, in their clay jars as well. We are gathered and we are scattered. We are respirational. We gather here together. We call together by God. Then to go out to make disciples and to release them for service in our broken world. That's what we're called to do. To gather here and then to go out. Paul says it this way in verse 15 in this passage. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace that lives in us as it extends to more and more people as we extend our grace to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So when we share our grace to more and more people, this is where you, where you work and where you play, where your family in a, in a restaurant to your neighbors, where you extend God's grace, it brings glory to God. And it happens through you. Paul says in verse 11, for while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that, and here's I think the key point, so that the life of Jesus 
may be made visible in our mortal flesh. The life of Jesus may be made visible in us. We want to represent Jesus. We want to look like Jesus so that the people we talk to, the people we interact with, you know, it doesn't have to be a program or an event. The people that we care for, the people that we touch may see Jesus visible in us, in our clay pots, that treasure that we carry. But even as the church exists as a building as well, in one way, it exists for our mission. We build places where here, where we can gather here in worship or in the gym or for an all-church brunch. Then we scatter, we serve others. But even our, our church exists and we provide opportunities and events and programs where we can be invitational and scattered to make disciples and to care for others. Through the food pantry, through great banquets, those seeking to meet God for the first time or to renew their faith in God. To homeless families, like we're here for a couple of weeks, through IHN, through the Jeremiah House. We do that. We extend God's grace even through our building and our property. So we might think that the church is a building, but really it's not. The church is you. The church is you. Where is the church? The church is here. The church is you. So as you may have heard, because I talk about it a lot, so I got to go to Israel with, the, with 41 people back about six weeks ago, and it was a great time. Now, near the end of the trip, we were in Jerusalem for a few days. It was an amazing time and place to be in Jerusalem, and probably one of my favorite places in the world, and especially in Jerusalem, is the Temple Mounts. It's one of the most fascinating places in Israel and one of the most holy places in the world. And the Western Wall, some of us knew as the Wailing Wall, there's a picture of it there. And these are actually the backs of, uh, I, don't, I don't know kind of who's who, but some of the women in our group were at a spot where they could pray along the Western Wall and could write prayers on pieces of paper and put them in the cracks of the Western Wall. This is the most holy place in the world for Jewish people. It's the closest they can get to where the temple was. And the huge blocks that you see there were built by uh, King Herod and his people to make a temple mount so there would be a, an enormous flat space on where the temple could sit. So this is the most holy place in the world for Jewish people. We also went to the steps in front of the temple mount. These are called the southern steps. Some of the steps, and this is our group, some of the steps where, where we were walking on are the actual steps that were built, and some of them are replaced and repaired, but some of them are the actual steps, the original steps that were there at the time the Temple Mount was built. And this Temple Mount was built just before Jesus was born. So when you go there, we talk about that Jesus was brought there by Mary and Joseph as a baby. He was brought there as a young boy by his family. Uh, rabbis taught on the steps in front of the Temple Mount. There's a good chance that Jesus taught his disciples there on the steps of the Temple Mount. There's a good chance, probably a high probability, that Peter gave his speech on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, possibly from these steps. And the doors are closed off now. They're bricked in, but there used to be great doors and gates where you could walk up through that wall up onto the Temple Mount where Jews could go visit the temple. When you go up onto the Temple Mount, you go through security, we got to go there. And so we saw the Dome of the Rock. And there's a picture of that. This is this, along with the Al-Aqsa Mosque, is the third most holy site in the world for Muslims. 
So the area on top of the Temple Mount is controlled by the Muslims. We were able to go up there and to visit. You can see even some of the bars in front. If you look closely, they were preparing for Ramadan where they would put coverings there so it wouldn't be so hot as people would come and pray, as Muslims would come and pray during uh, Ramadan. But there was some sadness there, at least I felt, because it was a Temple Mount and I wanted to see the Temple there. But the Temple hasn't been there in a long time. Now we went up and visited there and I wanted you to look at another angle, another picture at the Temple Mount, and it's this picture. This is our group. And so there's some stairs there, and this is all of us. And I think I'm up in the, I'm in one of the back corners there somewhere with sunglasses on. I can't even find me here. But that was our group, and we were in front of the Temple Mounts. And, and so um, I was thinking about that while we were there, some sadness in that the Temple wasn't there. But then the reason I wanted to show you this picture is because, uh, is because of this. The temple is gone, but you are the temple. We are the temple. The people that were sitting in that picture, we're the temple of God. Paul says in another place that our bodies are a temple, that Jesus resides in us. And so we're the ones to share his grace, that we don't have to go to a temple or even to a church building to meet him because you are the temple. And what does the church look like and where is the church? Well, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. The church is you. You are the church. We don't have to meet in this building uh, to be in a church. You can meet in homes. I was in uh, Rosie's uh, restaurant on Main Street in Zionsville last week. And as I left, I met there with my home group with about six guys. And as we left, I think I saw about eight other people from ZPC having breakfast together for various reasons. We were being the church, you know, in a, in a restaurant, and that's really cool. So the church is not a building. You are the church. The people in that picture that went to Israel, the church, you gathered here, you are the church. This is where the church is. Wherever you go, you take Jesus with you. So what are we to be like? Paul in many places and Jesus in many places and others in the New Testament give us some guidelines what we're to be like. We're to be like this. You are ambassadors. You're to be Christ ambassadors. You're to represent him where you go. You're to be his messengers, to share his message of grace. And wherever you go in your words and actions, you're an imitator of Jesus. You're to look like Jesus. So we think about what we learn in the Gospels. What's Jesus look like? What are kind of the things he does? How does he treat people? You're to imitate Jesus. You are Jesus' hands and feet in practical ways. What can you do practically to serve someone? Can you take a meal to someone? Can you care for someone? We are Jesus' hands and feet, and we are God's plan. God's plan, as you read the New Testament, there's not some other grand plan. He ascended to heaven. He left us the Holy Spirit so that we could be his plan for the world. And what Paul says here is that we are jars of clay. We are fragile jars of clay with God's treasure inside of us, God's grace, actually the Holy Spirit living in us to be his representatives in the world. So thinking about the church, there's an old saying that goes like this, if I can do it right. I was practicing before. Um, Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open it up and here's all the people. But what I was thinking about If we're supposed to be out and about, here's the church, here's all the people, but we go out here, right? We're to be out and about. The church is not limited 
to the place where there's doors and a building and walls and a steeple. Uh, the church is where we go, is where you go as well. Second Corinthians 4.11 in our passage today again says this, For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake. And what I think by that is means that you may not actually die doing his service, but we are to sacrifice to do his service so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. You're to be his visible representatives. You are a clay pot, fragile, but carrying a great treasure, God's grace inside of you. We said a couple of times this morning, it is Memorial Day weekend. And so this day and tomorrow, we remembered those in our country who gave their lives so that we might have freedom and we are thankful for them. And I think so many of us now currently aren't serving in, in military and yet we can use their example, those who've gone before us, as an example of sacrifice, of love, of care, so that we too can live for God, put others first, loving God, loving our neighbors, so that in a sense, we can give our lives sacrificially for others. I think the main point of this passage today in so many ways, as I said, is not a downer. It's to lift us up. It's for Paul to inspire us. He says, God is with you. God's treasure is inside of you. And I was looking this week, I read one writer who said this, this treasure I bear is not diminished by the vessel. Rather, the vessel is made valuable by the treasure it contains. Let me say that again. The treasure I bear, meaning God in me, that's the treasure I bear, God in me, God's grace in me, is not diminished by the vessel, meaning me. It's not diminished by being in me. Rather, the vessel, me, you, you're the vessel, you are made more valuable. You're lifted up by the treasure that is inside of you. God, obviously, adds value to you. You do not diminish God, even in your fragility and in your failure. God is with you, in you, and works through you. And so Paul ends the, this passage with this, these last few verses. So we do not lose heart, even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. The troubles of this world will end at some point. But what cannot be seen is eternal. God is lifting us up to look ahead to the future, but also to carry his treasure today. Where is the temple? It's gone because you are the temple. Where does the church look like? It looks somewhat like this building, but really the church is you. You are the church. Paul tells us, don't lose heart, don't lose hope. Focus on Jesus. And while the world is broken, we are called together to be his jars of clay, to carry his treasure, to scatter it into the world, to be his ambassadors, his messengers of hope. Let us pray.